0: Thank you for being with us today. I am really honored and excited about this message that the Lord really put on my heart as I prayed for preparation and guidance from the Holy Spirit. I believe it is an applicable word for all of us today. You know, discouragement is one of the most powerful weapons that Satan uses to hinder us and to keep us from the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. It's also something that each of us face and will eventually have to deal with if you're not dealing with it already in this moment. And these emotional battles are not always a matter of knowledge. It's not always a matter of understanding. Because deep down, most of us, we understand who God is. Yet when we see and we experience the overwhelming circumstances around us, we begin to have a mental battle a mental fight with the enemy of discouragement you see it's in the midst most of us we understand who God is we trust in his word we trust in his promises get in the middle of that we wrestle back and forth with knowing who God is who he's called us to be what he has promised but yet we still feel despair and we wrestle with loneliness and weariness and we can become emotionally drained We can trust in who God is but still battle with a lack of courage or a lack of confidence in both ourselves and even with God. We can trust in God's word and again, know who he is but forget the ways in which God has answered prayers so often in our life and displayed his faithfulness. You see, in the middle of that, we can still lack hope for a future. For many of you, It's our corporate worship gatherings. It's the time when we came on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings that you wrestled Monday through Friday. But when we came together and when we sang together, when you heard God's word preached, when you gathered in person with your growth group or here in this large gathering, that's when your faith was energized. And for some of you, it stabilized you on a day-to-day basis. And right now that is gone. Today, We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna look into God's word together and we're gonna look at living this life in a way which we remember that was then and this is now. Let's pray together. Father, like every day and especially in times when I bring God's word to the people here at ACAC, I need your Holy Spirit to guide me to speak through me. I pray that the words would be clear and they wouldn't be Alan's, but they would be yours. I pray for those families, those individuals that are home tuning in right now, that you would bless their home, that you would um, fill them and fill their living room or office, wherever they're watching this, that they would sense your presence and you would work in their life. And today, not one of us would shut this off Feeling discouraged, but instead, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us hope. You would give us encouragement, and your blessing would be upon us. In your mighty name, amen. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, in the 10th chapter, in the 10th verse, he was preaching and teaching his disciples and the crowds, and he said, The thief comes, the enemy, Satan comes to do three things to steal to kill, and to destroy. But then Jesus said, I have come, Christ comes, that you and I, that his followers, that his children would live life abundantly, that you and I would have a satisfying and rich life in him. Now, discouragement comes and it steals all that away. And the thing we're gonna talk about today, and I hope that you understand, is that discouragement is one of the greatest weapons in the enemy's toolbox to steal that abundant life it steals really two things it, it steals our personal sense of joy of hope and peace but it also steals our witness think about this we declare to the world that we have the greatest message of hope for those who are lost that Jesus is the answer to not only all of our personal problems, but to the world's problems. And yet so many times Christians walk through the daily life, we walk through a pandemic beaten down by discouragement, down with fear. We look at the circumstances around us and rather than projecting hope and encouragement, we do the opposite. And we wonder why the world says to our message of hope that Jesus is the answer, thanks, but no thanks. I believe that each and every one of us as Christ followers, those of us that have put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that despite the circumstances, you and I would recognize them, but we would walk with our head held high, trusting in God, knowing and living a life that is full and satisfying and peace filled. It's not turning a blind eye to the seriousness of the pandemic. It's not ignoring what is happening in the world around us, but it is allowing God's Holy Spirit to work through us and to bring us a peace that the world does not understand. Discouragement robs that of us. Discouragement is a deception of the enemy. Now, to help illustrate this, I brought someone with me today. So I'm gonna invite my daughter. This is Alex, And uh, she is home. She is a first year student at Liberty University. And like most college students, her time got cut short. So Alex is gonna help me illustrate how the enemy uses discouragement to steal our joy and to steal and kill the things that God is really doing in our life. So Alex, you have a balloon there. I'm gonna ask you to put that up to your face. So this is what happens when discouragement comes. And this is how the enemy uses that. When you have discouragement in your life, Alex, I'm going to ask you, I have some signs here for you. And I'm going to, Alex, I'm going to ask you, what does this sign say? Can you read it? No. She can't. Now, why can't she see the good things in her life? Because discouragement is blocking that. And so for you and I, when we are facing discouragement, when we allow discouragement to overcome our heart and our mind and our thinking, you and I can't see we're blind to the good things that God is doing in our midst right now. Okay, Alex, here's another one. Can you see that? No. She can't read it. Why? Because discouragement is blocking it. So not only does the enemy use discouragement to blind you from the things that God is doing right now, he blinds you to the things that God has done in the past for you. It, it robs you of remembering all the ways in which God has answered prayer in your life and has worked and moved in your life. Two more, Alex. Can you see what that says? Of course not. What else does Satan rob using discouragement? It's hope. It's not only robbing you of your current circumstances, seeing all the ways in which God is working in which ways you can be thankful for. Instead of looking back and seeing all the ways and prayers that God has answered, it also robs you of hope for the future. And here's the last one. I'm guessing you can't see that. (laughs) Discouragement even blinds you sometimes for seeing God move and hearing his voice. Discouragement robs you of these things and the enemy comes and he fulfills the words that Jesus said to it, that he comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Alex, thank you. She was a good helper. Thanks for doing that. Now, you and I aren't the only ones that battle with discouragement and that have wrestled with discouragement. There are two people in the Bible that I wanna point out, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. I mean, these two men are pillars of the faith. These are men that when I share with you their story and their names, you will instantly know who they are. And it's, they're not people that you would associate being discouraged Here's the first, David. David from the Old Testament. The Bible describes David as a mighty warrior. He was called at a young age by Samuel to be the future king of Israel. The Bible even says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. And while he did make several mistakes, the Bible's filled with examples of faith and courage in David's life. Yet when we look to the scripture, Psalm 55, verse four through six, it says this. David, these are David's words. He writes these. He said, my heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. That should give you encouragement today that this mighty warrior who was called by God that did incredible things for God, even he at moments in his life allowed fear and trembling to overwhelm him. Some of you, that's how you feel today. And you're not alone. Looking to the New Testament, the apostle Paul, yes, an extremely intelligent man who knew Incredible things about God. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament and may be considered the greatest apostle of all time. The apostle Paul wrote these words in one of his letters. He said, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it a man who had encountered God face to face, a man who was blown off his horse and became face to face with Jesus, a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit and wrote two thirds of the Bible, thought he would never live through it. What an encouragement it should be to you and I that these two godly men that had experienced incredible miracles and faith in their life, wrestled with discouragement. You and I aren't alone. Now there's plenty of reasons for discouragement in our life. Before we even tackle our current circumstances in the pandemic, often feelings of being unnoticed and unappreciated lead to discouragement. Being misunderstood by your boss or your spouse or friends or family can lead to discouragement. Sometimes dead ends in life or in your future lead. Our own personal failures, our own mistakes, our own shortcomings can bring on discouragement. And sometimes it's just physical exhaustion and health problems that lead us to discouragement. And other times it's our own sin, self-sufficiency, pride, or an unbroken spirit. But right now, my guess, it's that it's memories that are leading many people to discouragement. Memories of just a few weeks ago are bringing on discouragement. It's, well, that was then, Alan, but this is now. That was then, before the pandemic, before the fear of a virus with no cure came. It was then, before I was laid off, Alan. It was before I was isolated, alone in my home. It was before my calendar got blown up and my plans changed. It was before I felt like a captive in my own home. It was before I suddenly was expected to both work and care for my children and provide their education. But today, God's word, I believe, can bring hope, it can bring healing, and it can bring answers in the midst of discouragement. As we look to God's word, I want us to dive into a portion of scripture that I believe fully expresses these thoughts, this battle of discouragement, this battle of, well, that was then and this is now and I do trust in God, but right now my mind is battling discouragement. It's a portion of scripture that when we look at it, it's actually a song. And this songwriter in the Old Testament writes these words. It's Psalm chapter 42. Listen to these words. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. I'm here right now standing in an empty sanctuary. And I can tell you as I read this, my heart breaks as I remember how it used to be just a month ago with the sound of your voice feeling here and here this songwriter in the Psalms thousands of years ago is experiencing and feeling the very emotion that you and I are. He continues in this song, which is really the chorus portion of this. In verse five, He writes, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. It's an incredibly powerful and applicable verse and section of scripture for us today. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you an overview of really chapter 42 and 43. These were together, even though they're separated And our Bible is two different chapters. If you open your Bible now and you look through that, you'll find that there's no heading on the 43rd chapter. And in the original text, these were all one song. These were all one portion of scripture. So I want to give you a general overview. And then I want to conclude in talking about how we can follow the songwriter's response in dealing with these same emotions that we have that he had and we can take lessons from him and how he responded. So this Psalm 42 and 43, as I told you, is one Psalm. And it was written, the Bible tells us, by the sons of Korah, the Korahites. Now, without getting into a lot of history in detail, they, are, they came from the tribe of Levi and the, the Korah. Korahites were related to Moses. They were cousin and there's a lot of history there and there was a rebellion back in the book of Exodus and Numbers. But eventually this tribe became song, songwriters. They were the worship leaders. They were musicians that David assigned in the temple of the Lord. And this song in particular... We don't know all the circumstances behind it. It could have been when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. But the writer of this was remembering back to the times when he led worship in the temple. And for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, you have to realize that Jerusalem was the center of their worship. This was the Mecca. This was the peak. Everyone longed to worship corporately in jerusalem and this song leader this songwriter worship leader was remembering those times how familiar it is to us and i told you it was a song there are really three verses in one chorus and there's three things in this song if you will that gives you the overview here's the first the songwriter writes this sad song longing for the former days I told you, he remembers, his mind is thinking back. He's no longer in Jerusalem. He's miles and miles away and he's thinking back and he's missing those times when he was with people in the house of God, worshiping him. Here's the second thing. The songwriter is wrestling with emotions of discouragement and depression. He says in verse five, why am I discouraged Why is my heart so sad? In the midst of remembering how it used to be, discouragement and depression is fighting him. And the third thing is, the songwriter hasn't given up. He's fighting for hope. He says, after, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? He all of a sudden flips the script and he says, I will put my hope in God. And we see that while he's remembering and he's fighting these mental battles of discouragement and depression, He is not giving up. He's longing for the former days. He's wrestling with emotions of discouragement and how they used to be, but he's fighting through it. It sounds like you and I today. He was living in the midst of that was then, but this is now. You see, for so many of us, like I said, it's not a matter of faith. We trust, we know God's word. We believe who he is, what he has promised and what he has done. But it's the emotional battle in dealing with the circumstances. This should encourage us today. And here's one of the things I love about this psalm. There is an honesty and a transparency in this songwriter that you don't get anywhere else. And I think it's great for us to remember that God wants us to be transparent and honest with him. Later in the psalm, in in verse nine, he writes these words. He says, oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? I mean, just flat out cries out to God and says, where are you? You have forgotten me. Where are you? And sometimes as Christians, when we live in the in-between of that was then, this is now, God, we know who you are, but I'm not seeing it. I believe it's okay for us to cry out and say, God, where are you? There's an honesty, there's a transparency, there's a, there's power in releasing your emotions to God and he can handle it. For many of you, I don't know if this is the case at your house, but you get claustrophobic and full transparency here. My wife and I, we've been a little edgy and our family can get a little edgy. And if you're like me, it's like, sometimes it's the littlest things set you off things that would never bother you in the past but all of a sudden it's like ah so we were at the dinner table not too long ago and my daughter alex who you just saw she had found this tiktok and there was a video that's that now here i forgot it what did it say she's sitting here right here she's sitting right here beside me and says Everybody needs to release their steam. Everybody needs to scream. So we laughed about this. and In the middle of the dinner table, all of a sudden, each of us, one by one, went, ah! (laughs) And we released steam. What's the same thing in this song? The writer is just opening up his heart and his mouth, and he's saying, God, where are you? There's a man in the Bible named Job that you're familiar with that had everything stripped from him, and he did the same thing. In fact, he was chastised by his friends for doing it. He cries out, it's it's this raw lament to God. And his friends come back and say, you shouldn't talk to God that way. No wonder why you're going through this. But then I love it. Job writes these words uh, in the sixth chapter, verse 26. Job says to his friends, do you think your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? There is a cry of desperation that is okay to have with God. It's okay to be raw in emotion to say, God, where are you in the midst of this? We can learn from this. We can learn from these wonderful men in the Bible that have given us illustrations and living between the that was then and this is now. So how do we learn? What does this songwriter teach us? I'm going to close today with five things, five ways in which this songwriter, this psalmist responds to discouragement. Five things that he does in remembering and being discouraged that you and I can take away. Here's number one the songwriter, he affirms who God is. In that seventh verse, he says, I hear the tumult. Of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. Even though it looks as though God has forgotten him, he never stops believing in the sovereignty, in the power of God, in the sureness of God over his circumstances. Later on in chapter 43, in that same, as I told you, it's the same song. He says, you are my God. You're my only safe haven. You're my only safe place. He never loses his grip on the great truths of God. So for you and I, sometimes it's just reaffirming. It's just saying, God, I trust you. I know you're sovereign. I know it's you who controls the wind. It's you who still controls the waves. He affirms who God is. Here's the second one. He sings through the darkness of night. In verse eight of the 40, 42nd chapter, he says, but each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. In the darkness, in the night, in those dark seasons, the songwriter refuses to close his lips he refuses to stop praising god now this isn't a jubilant song it's certainly not a song of celebration he doesn't feel joy but he's seeking joy this is a song of prayer it's a song of lament it's a song of pleading and for you and i we need a broad playlist of songs Not all of our songs are celebrations. Sometimes our songs that we sing are laments. They're cries out to God. They're pleading to God saying, God, I need you in the midst of this. There is a song that was written just a couple hundred years ago that you'll know. And it's the story. It was a song written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Now, Mr. Spafford was from Chicago and he was an attorney and real estate investor. And in 1871, in the great fires of Chicago, he lost a good portion of his business. And right about the same time, he had five children. He had four daughters and one son. And shortly after losing that in the fires, he lost his son, his four-year-old son, to scarlet fever. After this horrible tragedy, both personally and professionally, he felt like his four daughters and his wife needed a vacation and a break. So while he was wrapping things up, he sent them across the Atlantic to England. And of course, at that time, there weren't planes, so they were taking a boat across the Atlantic. And in the middle of the Atlantic, there was a horrific accident and 200 people on that boat lost their lives, including Horatio's four daughters. His wife survives and she sends her husband a telegram saying these simple words, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio left Chicago and he headed to England to console and be with his wife. And the captain of the boat that Horatio was on, knowing the story, he stopped at the exact spot where his daughters died. And in that moment, over the seas where he lost all of his children, his four daughters, he wrote these words. And if you know it, I'm gonna sing it. I'm going to ask you to sing it with me. When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul. Horatio didn't allow his circumstances to stop stop his praise. The third thing that the songwriter teaches us is that he preaches to his soul. In verse 5, he says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. This is so important. Sometimes we we need to not only stop singing or keep singing, we need to preach to ourselves. David Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this in a book called Spiritual Depression. He wrote, have you realized most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning." You have not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment, he's speaking to the songwriter here in Psalm chapter 42, His treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself, saying, why art thou downcast, O my soul? Why are you discouraged? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him, beating him down. So all of a sudden he stands up and he says, self, listen for a moment. I'm going to speak to you. You and I, we can learn from that and preach to ourselves. We can open the book of Timothy in the first chapter one, and say to ourselves, for God has not given you a spirit of fear. Alan, God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but he's giving you one of power of love and a sound mind. We talked about David earlier and how he fought discouragement. It tells us in the uh, the first Samuel that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Preach to yourself. Here's the fourth one. The songwriter remembers past experiences. In verse six, he writes, now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. You and I, when we fight discouragement, need to think back before this last four or five weeks, before the pandemic, what are ways in which God was working in your life? What are prayers that you have forgotten that God answered? What are the times years ago, days ago, months ago that God has come through for you? Remember what God has done. And here's the last one. The songwriter, he thirsts for more of God. The very beginning of this song, this is how he writes. This is the first line of his song. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for the living God. I thirst for God. Where can I go and stand before him? What makes this so crucial for us is that he is not thirsting mainly for relief from circumstances or victory over the enemies. He doesn't start out the song saying, God, crush my enemies. God, take me back. He says, no, God, above everything, I thirst for you. More important than any of that is God himself. Now, it's not wrong to seek relief. It's not wrong to pray for those things that will relieve our circumstance. But more important than any of that is that we hunger and thirst for Christ alone. During this season, when you and I are living with this mental battle of that was then, but this is now, may you and I hunger as a church, may we hunger and thirst most of all for God, more than a return to normal. More than just to go back to the way things were. More for stores to open up and sports to be back to normal and for us to be able to leave our homes. Even more than for us to gather again. May we thirst and hunger for God Himself. That's my prayer for you and your family today. Heavenly Father. I believe with all of my heart that there are those that have tuned in today that are fighting with discouragement. Like my daughter, and she held up that big balloon that covered her whole head and she couldn't see anything. The enemy has come in with floods of discouragement and hopelessness. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit today and the power of your word, that you would pop that balloon. That instead you would replace it with floods of peace and strength and power. That people would remember that you have not given your children, a spirit of fear. But you have given us one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I pray that over every child, every over student, every over mom and dad and widow and single and young adult and every person who is watching. May you flood their mind today and drive out the enemy of discouragement. In your precious name, amen.